Imagine you picked up the most important book in the world, a book with words that can transform hearts. Now, imagine it was full of highlights and notes in the margin, and you could see how this book has transformed someone's heart. This is the Notable Podcast. These are discussions of twin pastors who share their underlining and highlighting with you. This is Season 8, a podcast on Genesis 12 through 25 and the life of Abraham. Well, Jonathan, I, uh, we are, whew, I, I don't know how to feel in this moment. Like we've been coming via the Notable Podcast covering Genesis 12 to 25. And I knew that this chapter was coming. I knew it <laughs> deep down. And here we are entering into Genesis chapter 19. I'm just going to be honest with you. Like, I feel um, maybe maybe sad is the right word. Like normally, when I when I get ready for this podcast, there's something that's animating me, and I'm going to be honest. Like there's something there's God's pure graces in the story, but I, you know, I feel a little sad today. I don't, how are you feeling right now about? talking about Genesis chapter 19. I mean, this is the whole thing. This is Lot mm-hmm. and the Sodomites and, and God's going to rain down his wrath on this whole big mess of sin. Like, what? how are you feeling right now? Uh, I Sad's probably not the right word, but heavy is heavy. There's mm-hmm. the content in this chapter is, is so heavy. And it's it's a different experience for me. I, I, I was telling, I preached on this on, church on Sunday and was telling telling my church that you know normally I'm I'm ready like I'm a I'm I'm chomping on the bit I'm I'm just ready to 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 do this like it's it's a mini Easter and Jesus is risen from the dead that's why I worship on Sundays and not Saturdays and and like I want to talk about Christ and his forgiveness on our lives and I, I want to it's like the Super Bowl every <laughs> Sunday and I told him, like, this, it's still true. Like, this, this scripture doesn't roll the stone back in front of the grave or something like that. Um, what it does is I think it's the most brutal reminder. One, it could be, it might be a little hyperbolic, but maybe not. Um, it's, it's one or the most brutal reminder in the Bible that while we do as Christians have one foot firmly planted in the endless horizon of resurrection eternity, we still have one foot in this world and it's planted firmly here and we have to know how to live here. And talking about that is a, is a serious business. Like you, you and I even had conversations. Like I, I hope everybody's okay with us having kind of an extended introduction to this text. I think it's so necessary, but you and I even had conversations like, are we, uh, and I talked to other wise people in my church, like, are, are we even going to read this out loud in church? Like, are we, right. are we even going to read it? In, Cause it's rated R, you know, and we had, a, we had to wrestle through that. And like we, so we live in this world um, 
we live in this world where um, people are really comfortable glamorizing this, sensationalizing this kind of violence and sexuality. Um, and one thing that I love about Christianity is we don't do that. Like, we're, we're not going to wallow in this kind of stuff. Like, for us, it's necessity. It's never something we enjoy. And so it, it's heavy. I know I, know I can tell you're chopping on the bit. And you want to talk about that, too. Well, no, I, I wanted it. It is heavy. It's it's definitely heavy. And like at my church, we didn't read the whole thing. I, I asked people to just read it to themselves. And because we want church to be a safe place and, and things like that. But I think here on this podcast, despite the heaviness, I think we got to talk about the whole thing and talk about it openly. And I guess I just wanted to do that. And I thought maybe just to set this up a little bit, Jonathan, that we would actually just kind of notice the story a little bit and really kind of immerse ourselves in this really dark night. It's 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 less than a 24 hour period that we're going to see um, uh, quite a bit less, actually. This might be you know, like 16 hours or something like that. And you can, Sodom's got a countdown time, timer over it. And, and then we'll just pull out some applications. I think that might be the, the really the best way to do that. So if you agree with that, I think what we can do is um, just paint the sun in the sky. And it's, it's just about down. It's, um, that's how the story has it anyway. And uh, lots sitting in in the entry, the gateway of the city. That's where he is. That's where we find him. So should we read it? You want to yeah, read it? I, I, I think so. And, and if we would just like have the people who are listening to this podcast, you know, praying for us because these these are really tough issues and just praying for us that we can communicate um, well and lovingly to, to everybody who's listening today. But but here it is. Uh, I'm reading verses one, uh, one through 14, and that's all we're going to cover here today. The, here's, here's the story. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they said, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called a lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out so we can have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind them, behind him and said, No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you and you can do what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. Get out of our way, they replied. This fellow came here as a foreigner, and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. 
they kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. But the men reached, men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness, so that they could not find the door. The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, hurry and get out of this place, because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. And that's that's Genesis 19, 1 through 14. Jonathan, before we like look at the, all the details of the story and, and kind of do a retelling of it, I just wanted to look at some big picture stuff about, about this particular narrative. And the first thing I think we got to notice is we have we have officially hit the pause button on Abraham's story, which is unique. This is Abraham and Sarah remain uh, as principal characters and actors throughout these chapters. But this is this is really a side story that is very significant. This is a very significant chapter. In Genesis 12 through 25, it's actually very long. It's one of the longest chapters. And I think that should tell you about the importance of, uh, of the story. Like Moses, by the Holy Spirit, needs to tell the story and he needs to tell it well. The other uh, two other things about the story that, that, that are very unique is the vividness of the details. Like this is, when you look at this, there it's 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 a very cinematic very very vivid retelling we have some incredible details like we're we're told about doors shutting we're told exactly we got a chronology happening like this is when the sun is going down and then when the sun comes up like uh we got hands and like it is it's it's very vivid so that we can picture it and imagine it um and then the third thing, just overall, like this is an incredible amount of dialogue. Like, I think this is the most dialogue that we have in all of these chapters. Like, so we're getting, we're getting like um, a play by play almost of, of minutes of the last hours of, of Sodom and Gomorrah. Like normally when, in, in the dialogue in these chapters, sometimes you just get direct discourse once, you know, and then we don't even hear the response or, or sometimes you get direct discourse twice and, and you're like, wow, but here it's going on the whole time. So this is, this story is um, unique. It's, it's exemplar. It is, uh, and I think all of it calls attention to its importance. Yeah, thank you for those uh, preliminary remarks. I'd only add one preliminary remark, um, and that's that um, we do very well in our personal meditations to notice um, the similarities and differences of um, the way that these angels are received by people. 
So the very intentionally, um, we are given a story of how um, Christians receive these messengers. And then we get a story here of how the world, um, Sodom here, is, is, um, becomes in the Bible uh, a symbol of the world. Like this is the world um, gone to its, uh, to its really its end, as we're going to find out. And how does the world then receive the message, the messengers of God? Um, this is that's actually a really interesting path of meditation that um, we're not going to take probably as far as it could. Um, but there's a major biblical motif that you can really tell. Um, one of the one of the tells of what you really believe in your heart is how you receive. Um, the messengers of God. So when the messengers of God come into your life, how do you receive them? How do you treat them? Um, and um, arguably, that's what Matthew 25 is about. Like, how, how, how do you receive the messengers of God in your life? And that, that actually is indicative of the way that you're going to spend eternity. Um, and you do have that, that motif running through this scripture as well. Those are the preliminary remarks. But, but now I think we should actually get into the details of the story of which you pointed out, um, there are quite a few important ones. Um, well, yeah. You get the sense of desperation right away. Right away. Like something is wrong right away. Cause what we have is, is lot. He's sitting in the gateway of the city and it, it, it appears like this is his custom. Like he just, I, I, I just can't believe that he just happened to be there the night that God's judgment was coming down. So I just got to believe that this is his custom, that that this is what he did, that he, he would go there to intercept visitors at night and try to save them from from the wickedness in Sodom that that he knew really well. And so when he sees these two two men, or at, at least that's what he perceives anyway, coming over, he says, my lords, please turn aside to your servant's house. And uh, then you can get on your way early in the morning. So right away, he, it seems like he's trying to, without being pushy or impolite, he's like, you guys need to come over to my house and then um, set sail just as soon as you can in the morning. And then the angels are like, no, we're going we're gonna to spend the night in the square. So they, they reject his, his hospitality. Now, some people meet understand that 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 he is um they have already judged him like we're not going to go in into your house i don't read the story that way i i I think that they they they're testing him a little bit like and and helping him to see and and maybe them to see too what these these sodomites are going to do and when they say that um no we'll spend the night in the square that's when when Lot embarrasses himself and he, he gets really strong. He's like, Oh no, you're coming to my house, whether you like it or not. He insists really strongly. And then everything's this big rush. Like he's, he's preparing this meal. Um, it's called a feast, but it's the poorest feast in the whole Bible. I mean, it's just in comparison to Abram, Abraham rolling out the red carpet. Um, lots lots making matzah like <laughs> bread without yeast like this is, which is evocative of the passover which hasn't happened yet 
but it is the bread of haste. And um, so they sit down to eat. And it seems like Lot's wanting to hustle him out to bed uh, because he's anticipating this knock at the door. And that's the early part of the story. Like, it, So we're kind of knocked off. The reader's knocked off um, any sense of stability or tranquility right away. <laughs> Something's wrong here. Yes. And, and uh, we're not even sure, like, what exactly is wrong like the details in the story um can be read in in a couple different ways like when when lot says um please turn aside you can wash your feet spend the night and then go your way in the early morning it's difficult to know if um lot here is just giving like the most um open invitation possible you can leave whenever you want guys just come over or if he's kind of shoving them out the door like hey you need mm-hmm. to get out of Sodom. Like you got to go early in the morning. And either way, either way, it, it's like you said, Timothy, like there's there's a set of questions. Like we're unstable as we read the story. Similarly, like with the yeast question, like that that um, that interpretation can go a number of ways. Like why why did he give him bread without yeast? Like what's what's going on there? And why didn't he kill a fattened calf or something like that? And people have all like, well, the, 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 cat, the, the, the cattle were outside the city, didn't have time to go deal with it. Or um, maybe Lot is poor and um, here he is in Sodom and he doesn't have any money and um, he hadn't actually made it or something like that. And nobody knows, like nobody knows that these are all the, or, um, or is it, like you said, we have this sense of desperation. I, 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 I guess I'm with you on that. I think there's this sense of desperation he needs to do something fast, get a meal going fast. It wasn't that he was poor at all. Um, and he's trying to get this meal, get a, get a meal into him and get him off the bed um, so that um, these men aren't ashamed. Um, and Lot can deal with, with the knock that comes at the door. Um, but like I said, we're unstable. We're insecure. Something's wrong. Something is is really wrong. And the 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 rest this is when the story goes off the rails because all of Sodom that that's how it's characterized in the story from every part of the city both young and old so like it is just this very universal um, thing that's happening here I don't think that means like every single male in Sodom showed up but it's it's touching every part of the city people are showing up they're surrounding the house and then we get this uh, this call to Lot, the knock at the door. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out so that we can have sex with them, which is um, a very, uh, and, and I say this, maybe it'll even sound funny, but I don't mean it to be. That is That is a very rude welcoming, to say the least. Like bring them out yeah, so that we, we can have sex with them. The details here are the stunning part. Like Moses does go out of his way. Like there's so many Hebrew terms here to talk to to indicate the universality of this. And even in the NIV, it, it does. The editors made a choice to to sort of bracket both young and old. Um, and I don't think that that's a wrong choice. The Hebrew does bring out these terms, um, and they they that should be a little shocking to us um, because. Um, we can understand that men of a certain age um, 
do have more urges, but here you have old people um, who shouldn't have that kind of virility going on. And then young people who shouldn't really be sexually formed yet um, there and um, participating in this. And, and Moses does want us to know that. Yeah, so this is this is a story about uh, masculinity that has really gone off the rails, and it, it's also a story about how a city has has politically, and you know, this is every level of society too. We can we can look at it that way, where the politicians, the leaders, the 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 people that mattered. Uh, this was this was how Sodom now was, and there's all kinds of levels of of sin going on here we'll talk about that we'll talk about that later and so lot he goes out and he's gonna he's gonna talk with this um toxic masculinity um and he seems like jonathan this is how i read it like he seems to know that there's danger so he he opens the door and then he shuts it so like this is not an open door policy but he also seems confident that they're not gonna wreck him right so he goes out to them and then he calls them friends like that's how the niv translates it if you look at the hebrew it it it's brothers and there's some ang- ambiguity there whether that's just kind of a a friendly address or uh whether it's actually that's how he felt about them like you're my family right you're you're my people and he goes on to to call them out i think a lot of people miss this part but that he says don't do this wicked thing so he is a preacher of righteousness like he's he's calling the act that they want to perpetrate wicked don't do it okay and then he, and this is where Lot really goes off the rails. He's, he says, look, I have two daughters. They're virgins, which is an incredible detail to include. Like he is actually inciting their lust. Like he's he, he's wanting to say like, that's going to feel different for you if you use them, which is incredibly stupid and foolish. Like. Um, and it says, I'll bring them out. Yeah. Yeah. It's just wrong. It's just immoral and wrong. And, um, I'll bring them out. He says, just don't, just don't touch these guys that are visiting me. Um, and then that, that whole thing ironically falls apart for him. And they're like, nope, you're an immigrant you're a foreigner and you can't be our judge and they start coming at him the angels pull him back inside and shut the door and i think well and there's it's just this thing comes apart so fast it's well look at this dialogue you just have to look at get get out of our way so first they talk to him get out of our way and then the dialogue turns and all of a sudden, they're having this um, intrasodomite dialogue. And we get it says, this fellow came here as a foreigner. So they're talking about him in his presence, which is very 
very scary. Like um, now he wants to, to play our judge. This is a, by the way, just an aside here, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but this is a move we can all make and we all do it is if we don't, if we don't want somebody's criticism, we just say, you can't judge us, you know, you can't judge us. And <laughs> um, instead of taking a biblical rebuke or letting somebody speak into your life, you just say, no, you don't get to, you don't get to say that to me. Um, but at any rate, that's just something for all of us to think about how it's necessary for all of us to receive biblical rebukes. And it's anyway. Um, and then they threaten him. They threaten him. So we're going to, we're going to do worse evil to you than to them. And then they do bring, they, they do bring pressure. There, there's some kind of like movement in the crowd that is very threatening. Um, and the, the angels then put their hands on him and they save him. They save him. So I, that's, there's so much irony in the story, but the, the irony there is that he was, he was trying to save them by this incredible dirty exchange and he ends up needing to be saved. That's the first time that they save him. They're going to save him again later. That's the first time. And then, uh, they, then they manifest who they are. Like the, the, they reveal themselves to lot and everyone else. And they strike the men, young and old, with blindness. And then there's this gripping scene where not even the blindness can can stop them. And they're still trying, they're like still like reaching for the door and trying to knock it down. It's just, it's just incredible um, what's what's going on here. I just, it's so gripping. Just- one one point of clarity, I and hopefully this is helpful to our listeners. Like when I was a little boy, I used to have this this um this question, like, okay, so they're blinded, but even if you're blind, couldn't you just kind of reach around and on the walls and eventually bump into like when, when it's dark in your house at night, you can't see a thing, you just kind of put your hands on the wall until you hit a light switch or a doorknob or something like that. And why couldn't that have happened? And um, I just didn't understand. And, and I can help maybe our listeners understand that what everybody says about this and, and, and what the Hebrew seems to indicate here is what we have here is a sort of mental blindness. So it's possible like physically they could have even saw, but their perceptions were altered in such a way that they couldn't ever get a hold of the door handle. They couldn't ever quite find the door. Um, and that that's, so it, it wasn't, we shouldn't think of this merely as a physical blockage or something like that. And that was a nerve. Yeah. I think it's like the, the, it was a brightness. Like it was just, it's like you're staring into the sun. Like there's just no, there's no way that they could, they could perceive what was going on. And th- so we're, that's where the, the, the scene shifts to the inside of the house. Like we get all these little details. It's just incredible. And the two men say it a lot. Do you have anyone else here? And we get this really interesting list of people where the, the first, the first people that they list are sons-in-law, which is odd to me. Like why, but then that's going to become clear. Do you have anybody else here? Sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you. And they don't wait for a lot to 
to answer the question, they, they say, get out of here. We're going to destroy this place. The outcry of the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy them. To, so they've seen enough, like they came down and they did this inspection and they've seen enough. The judgment's coming down and Lot is told to, to, to go find anyone that he can to try to get them out. Like now, so he's got this message in his mouth and in his heart. And he, he can only think of his sons-in-law and he goes to them. And then he says, who are pledged to Mary's daughters. Uh, that's not actually, that that piece is the pledge to be married is not in the text itself. <laughs> there's simply, that's kind of an explanatory thing. So there's a, there's an yeah. question. Yeah. So there's a question there about whether Lot had two daughters or four. And the the commentators who think he had two um, wonder, well, if he's got four, why didn't Lot just talk directly to his daughters who are married to these sons-in-law? He only talks to the sons-in-law. But I guess my response would be, why is why are they called sons-in-law if they're not really sons-in-law? Right. So the, I guess I fall on a side of like, he's got, he's actually got four daughters and he's speaking to the sons-in-law. I imagine that the, his daughters are right there and he's saying, get out of the city. It's going down and they laugh in his face. So, so Lot becomes, I think of it as the Homer Simpson of the Bible. He's just a buffoon to be, to be laughed at. And that's where they don't take them seriously. Yeah. That's as far as we're going to take this particular podcast. Like it's, that's the story and it's, it's damning of a lot in the whole thing, the whole thing. So I want to Timothy with your permission back out of the details and, and look at the big picture what's going on here. What we have here depicted, um, very graphically is here is a here is a believer lot we know this from second peter by by the way lots called um there a believer he was tortured as a righteous soul by what he saw and heard in sodom um he was a believer and if you track his life and and moses does this very carefully in the genesis count we see him outside of sodom then we see him move into sodom and here um, in this account, we see that he has both a house in Sodom now, so he's not tending outside of it or anything. He's actually moved in, and he's he's a leading citizen um, in the city. That's only leading citizens would sit in the gate. That was a everybody knows and everybody recognizes that was a place in the ancient Near East where sort of court was held. So he becomes a leading citizen that that um, inducted and assimilated into. The Sodomite culture and town and, and authority structures. So here's a believer who has a relationship with the world. And he has this kind of relationship in the world as, as we've characterized it. And it, this is so important for us to think about. Um, the, the text here gives us this incredible opportunity to think that for all of us to think what kind of relationship with the world do we have? 
because we all live in the world and we do have a relationship with the world. What kind of relationship with the world do we have? Now, before we, before we make some applications, which is what we're gonna end up doing, I wanna lay this down, uh, a theology of the world. The world in the Bible, and it, we should so see, this, see this very clearly in this account, is a, it's a pejorative term. It's a negative term. It's not a positive term. Um, so you can see this in like um, the unholy trinity of, of classic Christian thought is what are, what are we up against in the Christian church? Well, the devil, the world, and our sinful flesh, right? The devil, the world, and our so is the world. It's a pejorative term. Um, creation is a positive term. Creation is like the creation is what God made. The creation is what God does. The world is not. I mean, so we know this, the Apostle John, it's Apostle John, is very strong in this. So he's got, like in 1 John, he says, do not love the world. Um, if you do, the love of the Father is not in you. And so there, he's drawing up these antithesis uh, for us to, to think about. Do not, he doesn't say do not love the creation. He says don't love the world. We're supposed to love the creation. Like we're supposed to love God first, and then we love, love each other. And by extension, we love the creation, cultivate the creation. That's the Genesis mandate, right? Like, that we steward God's creation. Um, so it's it's not do not love the creation from John. It's it's do not love the world. The Bible. So as the world um, is defined in the Bible, um, it is the it's the world's institutions. It's the world's ways of thought and and living and speaking um, that are held upheld and built um, in rebellion against God. That's the that's it's the pejorative term in the Bible. It's and it's not just John that that uses the word the 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 vocabulary of world in a, in a pejorative way. It's also Paul. I mean, Ephesians chapter two is really at the heart of of Paul's teaching, and and he says, "As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world." And then he says. And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So he sees he sees the world as being totally governed by the ruler of the kingdom of the air, which is which is God's greatest enemy himself, um, Satan. So the the world in biblical theology is always opposed to God and under Satan's rule, and so. We, we need to expect that in, in our own lives. And, it, and, it, and it's really unsurprising. Like Sodom is very extreme, but, but it's very unsurprising that, that the world could degenerate um, this far. It, it should not surprise us that where um, there is no salt of the world, to put it that way. So that's defining the term, but now we need to understand this. Like we're building, we're building out some biblical theology here, and we have to take the time to do that so we can understand this text the right way. We want to remember that before we think about our relationship to the world, um, if we're going to do theology, we need to look at God's relationship with the world. And so here, I want to start with that with a a remembrance. This is a, a this is a really really important remembrance. God never wanted to judge Sodom. He saved her. <laughs> he 
We mm. read that already in Genesis chapter 14. He never, he wanted to save her. And there's really good commentators and we're doing it right now. Like, I, I just want to point out God, the Lord didn't want this to happen. He put Sodom in touch with Abraham and he saved her. And it's Bernard of Clairvaux who said that true hardness of heart, you can tell that um, true hardness of heart happens when neither God's kindnesses nor God's rebukes change you. Mm. And Bernard of Clairvaux is correct when he says that. Sodom had, let's remember this for a second. This is the, um, the river valley, and it was an exceedingly blessed place creationally. Beautiful place. And there's a reason why people wanted to be there. God had showered his blessings on this place so that there was, there was um, prosperity and, and wealth, um, tremendous prosperity and wealth. Um, but that didn't, that didn't turn people to God. God's kindness, God's kindnesses um, did not turn people to God. And neither did God's judgments. You know, it was a judgment of God that he allowed those kings to come in in, in, in Genesis chapter 14. Neither God's kindnesses nor God's rebukes moved the people of Sodom to the Lord. And he let it go on as long as he could. So God, God never wanted to, to judge Sodom. And you can already see that in Genesis. And, but then if we expand it out and we say that Sodom becomes a symbol of the world, um, and it does in the Bible, then we have to think about this. What about John 3.16? I always tell people we go too fast over that verse. Because what John does in his gospel is he builds out a whole theology of the world immediately. In John chapter 1, um, the, Jesus was in the world. Um, and though the world, I'm trying to quote John right now, though from memory, though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. So here you have John saying, um, this is the iniquity of the world. This is the lostness of the world that um, the world's own creator comes to it. <laughs> um, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And, and they're like a puppy that doesn't know its own mother. They're like a, they're like a Ford truck that does, even though it has a badge on it, doesn't know it comes from the Ford factory. It, the world is it's that dark. Um, and then it's John 129 very famously, look the Lamb of God. And you have to think about this language. Who takes away what? The sin of the world. And then John 3.16 says, God so loved the world. And we just, we think about, we think about how the term emphasizes the universality of God's love, rightfully so. God so loved the world. But what we don't think about probably enough is that the verse doesn't say God so loved the creation or God so loved everyone. It uses a pejorative term because that's the gospel. It would not be gospel if it said God so loved creation or, or God so loved everyone. What's news and what's particularly good news to us is that God loves those who are opposed to him. God loves those who are against him this much that he gave his one and only son. So that's the gospel, that God has a relationship to the world, that he loves the world, that he has given his son for, for all of those of us who have been in the world and of the world. This is good news. It is, it, it's tremendously good news. And I can't help but, you know, the, 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 the motif of Sodom just runs so um, 
connectedly throughout scripture, but I can't help but think about God's own son becoming incarnate and he walks the face of the earth and he, he, he arrives at a place like Capernaum. And then what does he say? Uh, the, you've seen these miracles, Capernaum. It will be worse for you than for Sodom. It'll be worse for you. So Sodom, we're, we'll talk about the sin of Sodom later, but the, the greatest sin that cries out, we talked about that in an early, earlier podcast, would be to see this love that, the, the, that for God so loved the world, and then to say, I don't need it, and I don't care about it. And that's what, what Capernaum did. So even Sodom doesn't even rise to uh, the top of the heap when it comes to um, damnable and, 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 and destroyed and judged cities. So yeah, like Sodom is, is deeply loved, but they just, they, they couldn't, they couldn't hear it. They couldn't hear it. But that brings us to our applications, right? Like the scriptures are here for our correction, for our rebuke, for our repentance, all of these things. And so I got, I got a couple applications here. Um, and I, and I think you do too, where we're going to talk about this. And so the first application is, is that um, God, here's how I put it. God so loved the world so that we wouldn't. Mm. God so loved the world so that we wouldn't. And I want to talk about that in, in a very particular way. We want all of us, this is what this, I think a proper response is scripture. None of us want to be a part. Anybody who reads this, like, I don't want to be a part of that. Whoa, <laughs> exactly. Um, we want to be a part of this, the God's love and what God wants to work in the world. And that's repentance. We want to repent to that. And uh, the way we do that is we turn to God and his love. God who has loved us, even though we've been a part of the world. And that means we love him first. Um, we love him first and we pursue him first. And uh, lots of, here's what we want to say about a lot. Um, he's a counterexample. <laughs> mm. In this text, in many ways, what we're going to see is he's a counterexample. In other words, you, 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 don't, you don't want this to happen to you, right? Like <laughs> what happened a lot, you don't want it to have happen to you. Um, lot, so look at it. Like he loses everything. Like uh, he does. He loses, he loses all his money. Um, he loses his house. He loses everything. He tried to have it all, right? He tried to have it all in the world. Um, he tried to have his cake and eat it too. He loses his money, loses his economy, loses everything. But the, the, the most, to me, and I'm speaking as a father here, um, and the text points this out too, the most gripping, the most gripping part of this is he also loses his family. He loses, the, and we'll talk about this more in a second, but he loses everything but his soul. That's the truth. Loses everything but his soul. And so here, so here's a story. <laughs> that helps. This is, I think, really important for um, Christian parents right here. Um, here's, here's an example of a person who tries to be a parent, uh, who, who tries to have his cake and eat it too. So at some level, you, know, you have to ask the question, why did his sons-in-law laugh at him? And why did, if, if we're right, that he has daughters, and I think, I think we are right, he's got two daughters, he loses here. Um, 
why why didn't they speak up? Why didn't they? Lot was not credible. He was not credible. They his his witness to what was happening was not credible. They're they're listening to him and they're saying, "Wow, my father in law has finally lost his marbles. He was incredible. Why, why wasn't he credible?" Um, uh, at some level, it, I think it's suggestive of the fact that he, Lot was not living his faith and he wasn't giving a witness to his faith. He wasn't talking about Jesus. He wasn't. So when all of a sudden he did it, they're like, whoa, dad, you're crazy. <laughs> You've lost it. You, I want to I say this, and, and I want to say this in all love and, and with the hopes that there's a child out here who's going to end up staying in the church who wouldn't otherwise that you, look parents are so busy these days i see this all the time i see i see the potential for that in my own life you can chase your kids around to everything 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 um you can try to give them the best schools the most sports whatever um to the point that you have no time or very little time to share Jesus in your child's life and talk about Jesus. And to make that choice is to almost inevitably um, raise a child who won't be Christian as an adult. Um, This scripture puts parents talking to their kids about Jesus at the center of the conversation. Um, There, I read a book by Christian Smith. He's in the late modern world. He, he, he wrote a book, um, talking about doing the research on how to raise kids um, in the faith. And he's a gold standard um, sociologist. You know what he says, uh, Timothy, is the thing. It is the thing that matters um, when it comes to raising kids in the faith. Parents having conversations with their kids about Jesus. Parents doesn't surprise conversations about kids, about uh, to their kids about Jesus. Jesus has got to be the center of our homes. He's got to be the center of our homes. And this is, um, this is a text where we have to stop and we have to think about that. And it is a chance for all of us as parents to reevaluate our priorities. Are we trying to get our parents and our kids in a relationship with God, or are we trying to make them successful in the world? And we have to have the one priority over the other. Yeah, and I, I just, I guess I want to build on your comments here, Jonathan, and offer maybe a diagnostic question. And it would be this, I'm going to lean on Second Peter here and, and just say, to, to, so the diagnostic would be, are you, are you too worldly? Or are you, are you living as Jesus said, you're not you're in the world, but not of it. So that the question would be, does it trouble you? Does it, does what's happening in the world trouble you? And to what extent? So here's Lot, he's living in Sodom, what we're told in Second Peter, and what there's details in the text that support this claim of Peter's too, is that Lot is tortured in his holy soul, in his righteous soul. He's tortured. Like, so, in other words, every day for him was like being in Guantanamo Bay. That, that's the language of, of Peter. And, you know, my, my circumstances are different from yours, Jonathan, but I can get on the subway 
And OKCupid will be advertising um, hookups. And I'm sitting there holding holding the hand of my seven-year-old. And you read the ads on the train. You, uh, I mean, it is, it is, it is breathtaking. I can walk down the street and there's six ladies a block from church with guys going in there doing God knows what. And, and your, your circumstances are different, but I, I doubt in Minnesota that you're so much more godly than we are. And if, if we're living a really happy life and we're not troubled by the way the world is, what does that say about us? Now, Sodom's a very extreme case. So I, we cannot paint the world um, with sodomite colors. And the scriptures doesn't. We're, we're going to have to talk yeah. about that. That's yeah. Genesis 20. We're going to get there. Yeah. We're, not, we're not saying that the whole, this is the way it is throughout, throughout the whole world. It wasn't in the ancient world either. Lot thinks so. Like Lot, poor Lot. He he becomes this 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 biblical monk, and everything goes sideways. And his daughters come to believe that they're the only people left on the face of the earth, which is totally wrong. But you know, we're we're not going to paint everything with sodomite co- colors. And so, like maybe we're we're not in a spiritual Gu- Gu- Guantanamo Bay, but we at least need to be able to call a spade a spade. That's what I'm saying. And so you always want to be asking this question and informing our biblical conscience, so to speak, that um, I don't live in darkness anymore. I have been called by Jesus into his wonderful light. And there is going to be a, be a difference between me and the major political parties and, and between the, the movements of the day that do not have Christ at their center and in all of these different things. This is what it means to be uh, uh, someone who's been called out of the world and who lives in it, but is not of it. Yeah, so I want to talk about that more, but you did bring up a point. Like if we're, think about it, if we're adopting any set of common discourses in the world and we can name sides and all that stuff, if we're if we are moving into a part of the world, um, and we're completely comfortable there, we should start questioning our, ourselves. We've become, you know, we we got we got even more comfortable than Lot, and that should scare us because Lot knew it was wrong, and we might not even know it's wrong. But he, this is the last thing I want to say in this application: God's love the world, so you wouldn't. Um, C.S. Lewis said this. He said. Aim at heaven, and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. Lot aimed at earth. What happened? Jesus was better on this. (laughs) He's always better. This is what Jesus said. He said, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, there it is, and forfeit their soul? So what look, what's the number one priority in your life? Is it is it God or is it or is it something else? Um, and I wanna I wanna close this way um, on this point, and maybe you can bring some more gospel to it than I will. Here's the grace of this text. This is incredible grace. 
Lot was saved. I mean, this is a really, really big deal. God was so kind and merciful to Lot that he got him out of there. Um, Abraham prayed down to 10. There were less than 10. But what God finally did is he, in, in a certain sense, he heard Abraham's prayer and, and gets Lot out of there. Um, now, Lot saved. But here's what I want to point out. Lot is saved literally with the flames licking at his heels. <laughs> and I, I want to point out, Jesus is so good that none of us have to be saved that way. <laughs> there is another option. We can get saved like Abraham was. <laughs> Abraham was saved with his family. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was saved away from the flames. So C.S. Lewis said it like this. He said, aim at heaven and earth will be thrown in. Jesus was better. Jesus said, pursue the kingdom. I'm in Matthew now. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. You'll receive everything else as well. And so God so loved the world that we could have a different relationship with the world and love him first. Love him right back. Thank you for that. I got, I think we have to talk about at least two more things. I, one thing that I want to, and this is, this is an incredibly important application is you have to ask another diagnostic question here. So not only does the world trouble, trouble you, um, but this one, like what, what went wrong for a lot? What, what went wrong for him and how did he become so compromised with, with the world that he was living in? And part of the answer, I'm not going to claim that this is the whole answer, but at least part of the answer is that he didn't have anybody to support him in his faith walk. He, he didn't have a believing community around him. And it's so revealing. It, it should have haunted him when the angel said, do you have anyone else here? And he can't come up with anybody. That is, that is a, a damning little detail that, He's just all on his own, spiritually speaking, and he doesn't even have, he doesn't have the support of the Sodomites. I think he thought he had it. I think he's a little bit shocked when they disown him. And I, I think that, yeah, my brother, don't do this. Yeah. Like if, if, if you think that you can sort of make friendly with the world, when it comes right down to it, what the story shows us is that they're not a part. They, they, they're just they're, This is the way it's always going to be. The world opposes God and those who love Him. It's just always going to be that way. And so when Lot comes out and judges them, he's rejected, and he loses what he thought maybe was his community. He also lost his family as a result. So his family, not even his wife, is is going to be um, necessarily supportive of his faith walk, and. At the end of the day, what it came right down to was what Lot needed was was a community, and God provided it when he needed it in the two angels and who hustle him then later out of town, which comes a little bit later in, in the chapter. And so I guess what I'm saying is like a lion always has their their a lioness has their pride and and a buffalo has their herd, and a Christian has their church (laughs) so (laughs) fill fill in the blank 
And, and that's a, that's a better way to be saved. Like you can't, this is a, this is a, a, a cry out to say like, we need to walk together. And Jonathan, we were talking about this, like really what, what the story is. Um, this is a narrative that gives to us the same truth as Psalm one. It gives us the truth. The yeah. same so, so, so Psalm one has it as an incredible uh, warning not to become someone who who sits at the gate and scoffs and, and Lot almost did like breathtakingly close and um, instead to find the congregation of the righteous and to plant ourselves in God's word and and to to find that Eden right where um, the the leaf is always green and, and it does not wither so there like you said there's another there's a better way to be saved. And it is, um, we are saved through Jesus, and Jesus provides the gift of the church. I wanted to at least Amen. say it's really important. Yeah, but you you brought bring me to to this the application that I know we we have to talk about here at some length, and I and I do pray that God gives us good language and uh, clear language and, and loving language to talk about this that we we need to the call here we will view a lot as an anti-type or counterexample here we need to um see what lot did wrong okay so here's <laughs> this is what i want to spend most of our time talking um, about the christian the story and i'm less interested in the sodomites i always tell people i'm not shocked by what the world does i i I'm not. I I just I I grasp sin and its nature. I'm not shocked. And I what what should shock us is when it, it makes its way into the church. Um, and that's what happens here. And you laid out a good uh, a good way to, for us to think about it. What's what happened with Lot? Because Lot here's Lot, um, and we have these men come. They make their demand. Lot says don't. And then Lot says, well, here's my virgin daughters. And, and we're just like, whoa, like this, this, to me, this is a greater shock. Like a Christian says that a Christian said, here's my virgin daughters. And, and everybody's like, all the commentators rightly are wrestling. Like, and it, our listeners, you're, I'm wrestling with it. You're wrestling with it. Like some people are going to say this. They're going to say um, the two main, here's the two major arguments. And then I want to say, I, I want to move into a third. How could Lot do this? Well, some people are going to say, well, Lot had an ethic of hospitality, and you and you can see that in the text. Like, okay, these they have come under the protection of my roof, and so Lot is is in and Augustine moves into this very heavily. Is a big problem. How could how could Lot possibly how could Lot possibly offer up his daughters in this way? And uh, Augustine is going to say, well, here's what he did. He 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 chose. He chose a lesser evil more so than the than the greater evil. So he's not going to let these his hospitality be wrecked, but he's going to ruin his family. And I, you know, I think look, I look at that and I say, you know, okay, I don't I don't live in the culture of the ancient Near East. It doesn't matter. It's wrong. It's wrong. Trading evil for evil is wrong. I, it doesn't solve. It doesn't somehow make a um, lot moral in this situation. You just imagine this, like. Um, almost certainly his two daughters, no wonder his daughters treat him the way they do later in the text in, in Genesis. 
Like he had just treated him like this. And all the commentators are like recognize that um there this is what it is what happened as a result. Like um and we'll have to talk about that later, but here um here a lot that's one argument is a, there's an ethic of hospitality that was overwhelming to lot and lot's like well i got to protect these guys that's the main thing and i'll do it at all costs even my own i'll even sacrifice my family on the altar of this ethic of hospitality fine that's one possible explanation for lot's actions it doesn't absolve him though um the other one that people notice is is they'll say well lot knew um, Law thought that these people wouldn't take him up on it. They had other sexual proclivities. Um, he's making, an, he's saying, he's trying to say, he's trying to do buddy buddy with them. Here's my daughters, um, but he is kind of a faux offer. And he, either way, like you just ruined your relationship with your daughter. The sacredness of the father daughter bond is absolutely violated for the rest of the rest of their lives. Like you can't put this back, you can't put this back in the bag, um, and it doesn't solve the problem. So those like those are the two um, two possible answers, but I think there's a third that is actually satisfying. Like how how in the world could Lot do something as misguided and perverse as to offer up his his own two daughters? How could he trade evil for evil? And the answer is um, Sodom. Sodom had gotten to him. Sodom had gotten the world had gotten to him. His 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 morality. His he didn't he didn't have a north star more morality anymore um scripture puts it like this bad company corrupts good character bad company corrupts good character um and the the truth so here's it's a lot the counter example you said we need to have good community here's what happens when you have bad community we become by degrees um over time and over time who we hang out with and who we listen to and that's exactly what happened a lot yeah I don't know that I think you said that really well, Jonathan. I don't know that I have anything to add to to what you said. I have this. I want, I have this. I want to point this out with all compassion in my heart. It is we need to recognize as Christians. Here's Lot. <laughs> He's completely moral one second and then completely immoral the very next. And I want to point out that that is exactly how we can be in the world. We all of us have so much contact with the world, more and more and more so, like through media and things like that today, that it is easy for us to be one completely moral in our viewpoints, in 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 one part of our life, and completely immoral in another. It is actually quite easy for us to be lot. Um, I'll try. To, I'll try to get. I'll try to get. Uh, you know, Christians have have a sexual ethic, and the world is pushing a different, uh, different religious sexual ethic. Um, I, I'm trying. I, I hope this isn't like um, inflammatory. I don't want to be inflammatory at all. But even religious scholars today are noticing that today in the United States we have an effect. What is um, a new religious Ramadan. It's not Muslim, but we have a whole month that is dedicated to a certain set of beliefs about sexuality. And there, it's a holy month of celebration, of uh, symbols, of gatherings, 
um, that are pushing a, a religious sexual ethic. And I say this all, with all compassion. It is hard. And Lot shows you this, I believe. It is hard to believe against the world. It, it is, it's really hard. And I, I think what you did is you, you tippy-toed us into a really difficult, um, and I want to have sensitivity as, as we talk about uh, the sin of Sodom. And that's probably not the right way to talk about it because there wasn't just one sin. It would be, we need to talk about the sins of Sodom. And the reason why we have to talk about this and, and the reason why it's so difficult is because as soon as we touch on these subjects, the world can come after you. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking about this, like as soon as you try to make a distinction between light and darkness, that's when the darkness will come after you every single time. And it, and yet we have to, that we, like we're, we're called biblically to do that. And so I want to enter into this with, with incredible love, incredible compassion, but incredible clarity as well, that um, the first time, and you taught this to me, Jonathan, the first time that homosexuality is, is mentioned in the Bible it is, it's, it's like this, it's included in this big ball of sin. It's, it's, it's right there. And what, what a lot of scholars try to do, especially the ones that want to be quote accepting is they'll take like a, a surgical knife and try to cut Sodom's um, homosexuality out of that big ball of sin and say, well, God was angry about all, you know, the rest of the ball, but he wasn't angry about, about the homosexuality. And, and just to be clear about that, there, there is no indication in the biblical text whatsoever that God was not angry about homosexuality. In fact, the assumption is that he was and that he still is. And if you, if you keep reading, in the rest of the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the tone that we could look at a lot of passages never changes. And in fact, it, the, the Bible is really, really clear about, about homosexuality. But it's not the only sin of Sodom. Like it, it's like this, this hot, writhing, massive sin. There's violence happening in here. There's uh there's, there has to be married men who, who would rather sleep with visiting men than their own wives. There has to be because there's children involved here. There, there, so there's adultery. There's, um, there's men teaching little boys that this is what they're supposed to be doing. Like it, the whole thing, I, I don't know what's worse. Like the, the violence, the, the, the inhospitality, the, the self-centeredness, the, the political um, powers that be approving of it all. Like the, this is, we could make a big long list and the Bible actually does like Ezekiel talks about, make, makes a list of the sins of Sodom. So it's not just one. Um, I, I don't have that one in front of me, but 
included in there just to just to be super clear and, and sensitive would be that Ezekiel describes the, the detestable sins of Sodom. And that word in the Bible is often connected with homosexuality. Just look at look at Leviticus. So he's he's talking directly about um, homosexuality there. And then again, Jude. Jude says that sin of Sodom um, was perversion or unnatural relations. And and again, people will try to say, well, the perversion here wasn't men having sex with men; it was men having sex with angels. But the response to that is these men didn't want to have sex with angels. They wanted to have sex with men. That's what they were requesting anyway. So we don't know about, about their, if they had feelings towards angels. And, and there's no biblical reason to think that people even thought about that. So like, I, I just, you know, I want to be so sensitive to that and, but also so honest about, um, the various sins that are happening here. Do you know how to put this? I want to make this really, really clear to the difference. Here's the difference between the world um, and, and the Christian church. Here's the, here's in a nutshell, um, the church is against all forms of lust. And we're very fair about that. <laughs> very fair about that. So Ezekiel says, now this was the son of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. And then, like you say, Ezekiel goes on to talk about Anne, um, pride and, um, and detestable sins. Um, but then it says, in a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah, this is Jude, and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. So what it, it's, look, this is the temptation. It can be a lot, right? Really good on one part of morality, really bad on another. Um, somebody can be fine with lusting with the wallet. You're fine with being wealthy and not sharing, <laughs> right? Or exploiting the poor or something like that, or, or discrimination or something like that. You're fine with lusting with the wallet, but then you're against um, lusting with the body. Or So you're good in one part of morality, bad in another. Or again, you, you can be fine um, with lusting with the body, but you're against lusting with the wallet. So you, like you're against discrimination, you're against ex exploitation of the poor and stuff like that. And either way, you're lot. And what, I'm, what we're trying to say is we're trying to say is, is God is against all forms of lust. <laughs> He's against all forms of lust. What's he for? He's for love. <laughs> He wants his world to run on lust, uh, on love, not lust. Yeah, and and specifically, there's a there's a there's a holiness to it too, like the Bible does talk about uh, holy love, and and so it, it's not self determined. It is there is an objective will that God hands down to us, and, and it's it's clear in the scriptures. And he, and he calls us out of darkness and, and, and into his wonderful light. And it really is a wonderful light that, that we have been forgiven for whatever we've done, for whatever worldliness, whatever darkness we've, we've been living in or currently living. We're forgiven. Thank God. He calls us out of it. And um, he, just like Lot, he's strong with us and gentle. Like he's, he's strong, like, no, this isn't it. But. I forgive you and I love you and I'm taking you out of it.
I want to, uh, Timothy, I want to make my closing comments like this. Um, I want all of our listeners out there to know that we prayed for you before we ever said anything. And both, I know that both Timothy and I um, have ministered to people and deeply care about people who struggle with these kind of issues. And we want you to know we love you and we care about you and we want you to know the truth and we want you to have Jesus. And the, talking about these things, you know what I think it's like? I, I think it's like this story. It's like you do have a couple messengers and I believe we're speaking God's word to people right now. And it's, it's, it's such a heavy thing. It's arresting. It's seizing on your heart. And I believe God can use these kind of conversations and these kinds of um, truths that come to you in love um, to arrest you, um, to um, take you away out of Sodom and give you the future that he wants you to have. Because God wants everyone to have the same future where it never ends, um, where there's only love and only Jesus. And, and one long Easter. And, but right now, it, it's, it's like this. We have one foot in eternity because the grave of Jesus is open and our sins are truly forgiven in the name of Jesus. But we still have one foot in this world. And the call is to love the Father who has loved us with his Son and not the world. Um, and then also, to live in this world um, and remember that as we do, none of us, none of us can swim alone against its currents. We desperately need each other. Yeah, I, I love how you ended it, Jonathan. I, I guess I just wanted to say this, like that I want to end how we started that there's three ways that God's messengers, his angels, were received in these chapters. Abraham rolled out the, the carpet, and he's ready to hear whatever God had for him. An incredible feast. Lot was kind of middling. <laughs> he like he he's got um, unleavened bread and water, and then Sodom just piles on. They they we don't need to talk about that anymore. And I guess I'm saying this to our listeners now, Jonathan, that as we, as we talk about God's word, I guess those are your three options. And I don't know, or to talk about it like Jesus did, like, I guess this word might fall in rocky soil, but, but some of it might produce fruit. And what I'm, what I'm praying, my, my heart is, is hopeful uh, that it'll not fall on rocky ground and that it'll be received with hospitality. Um, but I, I, I'm also wouldn't be shocked at all, Jonathan, if um, people pile on. But I, I, I feel like it's the right thing to do. I know